0: What we'll do is I'll read our passage for this morning, which is going to be John chapter 14 and verse 11 and following to the end of the chapter. And uh, that will give us an idea of where we're going. We'll give thanks in prayer and then we'll dive right in. Um, I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Bible, which hopefully is close enough to whatever translation you have if you're reading along, and that it might all make sense as we go. John chapter 14 and verse 11 says this, "...Believe Me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in Me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, he who believes in Me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in My name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son." If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in My Father, and you in Me, and I in you. He who has My commandments and keeps them is the One who loves Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and will disclose Myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love Me does not keep My words, and the word which you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. But not let, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved Me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I'm going to stop there. And let's just take a moment as we allow God's Word to absorb into our heart, soul, and mind and give thanks. Lord, thank You that this morning we can come before You, a holy God. A God who we know longs to be known to be seen, to have His glory declared on this earth. And I just pray this morning again that we would join You in Your purpose, that we would allow You to speak to our hearts, that we would allow You to put Your finger on those areas in which we have yet to bow our knee to Your kingship, Your lordship of our lives. I pray this morning again that we would be sensitive to Your Spirit and all that You are And know that today, only You provide understanding to a word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that divides bone and marrow, spirit and soul, and knows the intentions of our hearts. And I pray this morning again as we reflect on these things that You would provide us with wisdom and truth. Thank You, for we know You are faithful. And we thank You, for we know You are here with us. And in that we rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Lauren mentioned, our text this morning talks about Jesus as He begins to talk about the coming of the Spirit. And I want to actually uh, take a few steps backwards this morning, always looking to gain the context of the conversation in which we find ourselves. And as we do so, often as Jesus spoke, it was in reference to a question or a comment or an action that a disciple made. And as we look back at what Philip asks this morning, I'm challenged that often, as the disciples did, so often truth can be staring you right in the face and I can miss it altogether. Often we've said that very thing as Jesus walked and went with them all over uh, the land and sea. And he would say, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And remember their response? I didn't bring the bread. Did you bring the bread? Who brought the bread? I didn't bring the bread. Where's the lunch? And all the while, Jesus is saying, Sin, guys, it's sin I'm talking about. Same way when he said to you, I'm glad for your sakes, Lazarus is asleep. And and what did the disciples say? Oh, he's asleep. Well, surely he'll wake. And I don't know if you remember, but Jesus, deadpans, He's dead, guys. (laughs) He's dead. Why was He glad? Glad not because Lazarus was dead, but glad that through it, His disciples were about to see something. Perhaps they hadn't seen before. They were going to know something. They needed to know about who Jesus was and what Jesus wanted to do in their midst. This morning I want to focus on this that today I often settle for less. All the time. And yet God calls us to something so much greater. John 14 verse 8 says this, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, as Philip speaks to him here, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough. And this morning I want to look at the fact that when I settle, simply seeing the Father can be simply settling for less than what the Father has for you. Simply seeing isn't enough. And in fact, Jesus says, If you had been looking, I have been with you so long, and if you really saw, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? As we look at these words, Jesus now is preparing to respond to Philip's request to see God to see the Father Himself. And as we look back, as Jesus says, listen, if you had been looking, he who sees me sees the Father. And we look back at Jesus, and often I think as we summarize Jesus' life, just as perhaps we can summarize communion by Jesus' death on our behalf, we can miss the victory that comes through Jesus' resurrection. We can miss an incredible life that came from that death. And often, when I look back at Jesus' ministry, I tend to see a building climax to Jesus dying on a cross and the forgiveness of my sins. A ministry that in all reality, though building to that place and point, took moments on a cross. And often, I can well skip over a ministry that Jesus had that took 33 years to fulfill. What was the ministry in Jesus' walk and way? His ministry was for 33 years revealing the Father. Revealing the Father's glory. Revealing God's glorious will. I want to remind you of John chapter 1, in which we're told about that very thing in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it actually says this as John recounts for us. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I've shared it before and I'll share it again. What's significant there is that this living Word came and took on flesh. And that word dwelt, that word dwelt is actually the word tabernacled in the original language. The glory of God came on, took on human flesh, and tabernacled a temporary dwelling place amongst us. And what does it say? It says, the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth, and it says, we saw His glory. And that word saw is actually the word theodzomai, which is where we get our English word theater. And isn't that a beautiful picture? The glory of God came down, the living Word tabernacled, a temporary dwelling place put on human flesh, dwelt among us, and theodzomai, theatered His glory before us. And we all saw it. What a great picture. Not only that, but if you read on into chapter 1 of the Gospel of John and verse 18, it says this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Let me read how it's put in the Amplified uh, version. Again, adding words to try and get the fullness of the meaning of those original words in their original language, it says this in John 1 verse 18. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique Son, or the only begotten God who is in the bosom, in the intimate presence of the Father, He has declared Him. He has revealed Him and brought Him out where He can be seen. He has interpreted Him and He has made Him known. You see, for 33 years, though we often look to the final moments and days of Jesus' ministry, for 33 years, Jesus fulfilled the ministry of revealing God's glory, the Father, to a watching world. Theodomi, a theater to be seen anywhere He went, Wherever he went, whatever circumstance he was in. As as I remember a friend once putting it this way the Creator chose to come down in the form of creation. In the form of creation to live as God from the beginning of time had intended man to live. Remember Genesis 1? Adam and Eve, He made man and woman in His image. In His image, did He make them? From the beginning, man was created to be an image bearer of the glory of this great creating God. And yet, they fell short. When sin entered, the image was tarnished. And yet now, Jesus came and chose to live the life that God had intended man to live from the very beginning. He clothed Himself in sinless humanity. And again, as I've heard it put so well, sinless humanity fashioned for Him in Mary's womb by a loving Father. Isn't that great? He came and for 33 years lived as a man how we were designed to live. And if you want to know how He lived, we can read the next few verses in John 14. He says, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. John 14, verse 9, He goes on and says this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. You see, this morning, if we want to know how Jesus lived as God intended man to live, here's the answer. The Father who dwells in me, what? Does His works. That's the key. And yet so often, I look at Jesus, I look at His perfection, I look at His life, and I look at His way, and it often stirs me, not for the better, and let me explain myself, but sometimes for the lesser. He goes on and says it this way, "...the Father who dwells in me does His works." Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see, Philip had started asking the question, Jesus, show me the Father, and it is enough. A- and I can only put to you this morning as it was once put to me and challenged me deeply. that if I think seeing the Father is enough this morning, I've already missed it. Because Jesus, as He was doing His ministry, 33 years revealing the Father's glory, there was something more He was after. Dare I say this, that even as Jesus prepared for the cross itself, and forgiving you and I our sins that we so desperately need. There was more. Because Jesus, in the quality of His sinless life that He lived, He justified us. How? And again, as it was put to me, (laughs) the life that He lived qualified Him for the death that He died. His sinless life went before a death that He died that would justify you and I. How? Because God would look at Jesus as though He committed all my sins. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Peter puts it this way, Christ died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust. Justified? Yes, because God looks at you and I as though it's just as though we never did it. Why? Because He looks at His own Son as though He had done it all. And yet, that justification leads us to a place. Not just to see it. And here's the challenge this morning. Here's the challenge. Because today, if you are to know about God's forgiveness through Jesus, if you are to know the gift of this glorious God, that knowledge in and of itself does nothing for you in the hope to live differently than you did before. That knowledge can create in you many things as it does in me. (laughs) It can create a fondness for God. It can create a, a feeling of indebtedness to God. It can create a longing to worship God. It may create a newfound holy ambition to live differently for God. But the knowledge of His forgiveness does nothing for you and I today to actually enable you to live any more differently, does it? In fact, again, a friend put it this way, if, if, if God were to simply forgive us our sins and Jesus go to heaven and wait for us there, it would actually make us wonderfully fit for heaven, but leave us unbearably inadequate for this earth. It would leave us in a place forgiven and ready for heaven, but leave us, perhaps this way, no better off than we were before, simply still trying to be better and do more for this great God who forgave us. But like I said, Jesus was after more. Not just about revealing. Not just about the disciples seeing. And there was more than the forgiving of sins. And what's more is this. Jesus would not stop until we not only knew the forgiveness, had the forgiveness, but could welcome and walk in the life that He lived. He wanted us to live the way Jesus lived. Restored to the way He longed man to be from the beginning when He made them. Male and female, He made them in His image. As we read on, it says this. John 14, verse 12. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do And greater works than these will He do. Do you see? Jesus didn't want you to stop at being forgiven. He wanted you and I today to do the works that He did and greater works. He says this, I am going to the Father and whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask Me anything in My name and I will do it. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him. For He dwells with you and I will be where? In you. How exciting is that? if there were any hope, not only to be forgiven our sins, but to live a life set apart from those sins. Victory over their sins. You and I are just as incapable of living a sinless life as we were before. Even your knowledge of forgiveness will not get you there. But Jesus knew one thing, and that was this. Only one thing could. Because there is only one that can live that sinless life. And that was the One who did some 2,000 years ago. But He was preparing to put that life back in you and I. How exciting is that? He says, listen, ask the Father. I will give you another Helper and He will be with you forever. You know Him, though the world may not the Spirit of truth, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, already Jesus had been setting the stage. I remind you, as we've studied as a church together, in John chapter 4, when He met that woman at the well. And do you remember her question? (laughs) When Jesus opened up her life and showed (laughs) that He could see all things, including that she was not living with her husband, but another who was not, and she had many men before. And seeing that he was a prophet, she said to him, John 4, verse 19, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And the people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What's her question? God, I'm longing to be close. Jesus, where do I go to see the Father's glory? Where do I go to be closest to the Father's presence? And I want you to remember His answer. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It's not about a location. He says this in verse 22, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. What was He preparing? That she would come to understand that a time was near where it was no longer on a mountain In a temple, nor anywhere else, that you would see and find the presence of God. But it was going to be found where? In spirit and truth. A promise that all the way back in Joel and chapter 2, God had promised when He said this God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on the bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth My Spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, God had already said, a day is coming when I am going to pour forth My Spirit on all mankind. And Jesus was preparing not only to pave the way to the forgiveness of sins, but an even greater work than these, He was preparing to put His very life in you and I. He didn't just want to show you a sinless life. He wanted to equip you for the means to walk away from the sin that so easily entangles you. By equipping you with the only life that can. It goes on and says this in our passage this morning. So, flip my pages over here. He says in chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in My Father, and you in Me, and I in you. What a great promise. That today, Jesus gives not only the knowledge, but on that day that was coming, Pentecost in the book of Acts, where Peter himself quoted those verses in Joel in Acts chapter 2, Jesus was preparing to give His own Person to those people. Just as the Father, the Creator, had clothed Himself in humanity, He was preparing to put Himself in their humanity that they too might do greater works than these. As we look to that Spirit, as we look to God today, I'm reminded of that victory. That today, Jesus lived as we are called to live. As man was intended to live. The words that I speak are not my own, for the Father does His works. You know when I settle for less? As Philip was asking, God, show me the Father, and it is enough how often do I settle to simply see? God, I want to see who You are. I want to see what You can do. God, I want to see Your presence. And yet, in all of this, it falls short of the greatness of what God has promised, and that is this. I don't want you to just see. I want you to know the fullness of what it means to have My fullness living in You. I want to be a part intricately of Your life. And just as Jesus, the words that I speak are not My own but the Father's. The places I go are not My own but His direction. The things that I do are not on My authority but His who sent Me. Just as He so lived is how we we ought to live. And I can remind you of many passages in which, go back in Matthew chapter 10, and He says, listen, I'm preparing to hand you over. And there are going to be sheep in wolves' clothing. But He says, you're going to be raised before governors and courts, but do not fear what you are to say. Why? Because in that moment, it is not you who speak but My Spirit will put words into your mouth. Do You see, when you invite not just knowledge of Him into your life, but His presence, now, all of a sudden, He begins to take over and give you what you need for the moment. Patience when you're out of patience. Peace when you're filled with anger. Love when you seem outraged with hate a divine presence that continually feeds far more than we could ever ask or imagine the life of the sinless Son in here. In here never to leave you as orphans. Inside. That we might know that He is in the Father and the Father in Me, and I in You." As always with His disciples, this lesson was met with another question. And He said, Judas, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that You will manifest Yourself to us and not to the world? How are we going to know it's You? Jesus answered him, John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see how many times it says, I want to be in you. My home will be with you. I will abide with you. He goes on and says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things, bring you to your remembrance of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, as Jesus concludes here, He reminds us of this that as the Spirit goes with them, the Spirit is equipping them. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever you abide is My abode. And when you allow Jesus to reside within, now it says He will teach you all things and bring remembrance of all that I have said. He says do not be troubled. Why? Because they were losing Jesus The presence of God in human form, though, yes, they would miss Him, now that presence was going to go with them wherever they went. Have you ever had God's still, small voice? You long to write down notes and remember everything a teacher or a preacher says, and you think sometimes going to church can be trying to like drink water from a fire hose, and you can't. Get it all in or get it all down. But remember this. If my Spirit is in you, my Spirit is equipping you, and He will remind you not only of all I've said, but everything you need to remember. Have you ever had those moments where you're walking down the street and something happens, and you get a, hey, I remember someone said something about that. Hey, didn't I? Didn't Lauren say something about that? He told me I was arrogant. I need to be less proud. Okay, I remember. (laughs) Didn't? Or or how about this? In the midst of an argument, you should apologize. Here's my response. No, they need to apologize first. You see, the more I listen to that voice, the internal compass, God's glory by His will, the presence of the Son in you and I, the stronger it gets, the bolder and the braver I can be. Because today, not that I am sinless myself, not that I am ever perfect. Far from it. But an ever progress is possible. Why? Not because of me. Not because of my ability. Not because of my commitment, my dedication, my hard work, my memory, my studying, how many hours I prayed, the more services I attended. No, the more I see it's nothing to do with what I did and everything to do with what He did. And even more so, what He can do today, if I'd allow Him. Today, Jesus longs to live within. And if you've come to a place where you keep asking as Philip did, I simply want to see the Father and that's enough. Don't settle for less. Because what the Father wants to see is nothing less and His presence in you. And when that presence is in you, He wants to see that presence bring glory outside of you. In every arena. As you allow Him to dictate your steps. Dictate your words. Dictate your path. All the way to when Jesus said, Lord, if it were up to me, let this cup pass before me. If it was my choice, I don't want to go to the cross. But ultimately, Jesus in the end moment said this, Lord, Thy will be done. Today we have an incredible hope. Because when you are in Him, He is in you. And that Spirit not only has forgiven you today, not only has paid that price, justified you, but if it can be summarized, Nowhere better, and I'll close with this. Romans 5 and verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, He died that He might reconcile you to God. Or as those verses we read in Peter put it this way, Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Now that you've been brought to God, Here's the key to a victorious life. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through His Son, much more having been reconciled. Now that you're back in right relationship with God, here's the key. We shall be saved by His life. And that's the end. Don't settle for less. As that... One friend often said, the work of God, you need never settle for less. You need never ask for anything more. Far more than we can ask or imagine is what He's prepared to do today if you'd allow Him. And today I pray we'd be that community of believers glorified not by our activity for God, not by our ambition or our longing to return a favor, but an availability just as the Son was available to the Father so the Father might live and do and be all He could be in you and I. What a great victory as we go out these doors that we can live in Him as we abide in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that today we are not only justified by Your death, but even more so, saved by Your life. That when it tells us wherever sin dwells, the sin that so easily entangles us, You have always provided a way of escape. And I thank You that today, by Your Spirit alone, You have offered us the healing of hope. That today, You can bring peace in the midst of war. You can bring love in the midst of hate. You can bring joy in a place of sadness. You can bring strength to the weak. You can make the foolish wise and in all this, we so greatly conquer. Why? Because it's Your life that lives. I pray that we would learn daily as we celebrated this morning that act of communion, of laying down our lives, that Your life might shine true. Thank You that today we celebrate a victory. That today the sun came not only to die, but to rise again and live within us. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen.